Welcome, campers. This is Champagne and Murder Police, and I am your host, Brittany. How is everybody doing? I've missed you all. It feels like it's been forever. It's only been a week, but it still feels like it's been a long week. I went to my 20-year class reunion last Saturday, and I had a blast. Everyone that actually showed up, they were awesome people, so it made it that much better. It was a good time had by I think all I think it's safe to say that um just had it at a little bar in town and during our town's like carnival and stuff our hometown's carnival but it was a good time everybody that that made it was was awesome so that was fun and other than feeling old it was a great time um this past week I've had I had fun with the kids just kind of hanging out and watching them play in the pool and playing outside and watching their little brains work with their imaginations. Kind of fun. I hope you all are doing well and I hope you guys are having some fun in your lives too. Um, if you want to share some of your good news, good stories, go ahead and send them to champagne and murder, please at Gmail. We love to hear from you guys. It's awesome. Um, so today um, I'm obviously drinking a Truly, but I also got a Barefoot Bubbly Pink Moscato Champagne wine. It's less than 10 bucks at Wally World. It just looked fun, so I figured, why not? We'll try it. It's got bubbles. It counts, right? <laughs> and today, for the stories that I have for you, I have two creepy cryptids. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy these. And I hope you excuse my pronunciations on the one story because it is from Ireland. And I will probably fuck things up. So just hang in there with me. We'll get through it. So let's get started. So the first creepy cryptid that I have for you is the Enfield Monster. And it is an unidentified creature that was spotted around Enfield, Illinois, and it is not the same as the Enfield poltergeist, though, so don't get it confused. That's for another time. Some say it may have been a wild ape or an escaped kangaroo. Others believe it to be an alien, demon, or genetic mutation. Either way, whatever it is, it is one of the strangest creatures ever chronicled in cryptozoology lore. It was nicknamed the Enfield Horror due to it being spotted in Enfield, Illinois. The first encounter occurred on April 25, 1973, when a young boy named Greg Garrett claimed he had been attacked by a bizarre beast while he was playing in his own backyard. Greg described this beast as having no less than three legs, grayish, slimy skin, short claws, and reddish eyes. He went on to explain that the creature, quote, stamped on his feet with its own three-clawed, foot-like appendages, and it was so bad that it had torn up his tennis shoes. Greg, hysterically crying, ran away from the creature and to the safety of his own home. Although Greg's encounter was technically the first one recorded, it was the second encounter a half an hour later that is what gained the creature its notoriety. Garrett's neighbor, Henry McDaniel, and his family had their own face-to-face -face encounter with this creature. Around 9.30 p.m., Mr. and Mrs. McDaniel arrived home to find two of their children completely frightened out of their minds. When they asked the children, they claimed that a thing tried to break into the house 
through the door and then through a window where there was an AC unit mounted. And it all happened while their parents were away. It was then that they all heard a scratching sound at the front door. Skeptical, Henry McDaniel assumed that the scratching sound had been just a wild animal. So he brazenly flung the door open, and what he saw before him would have shaken even the most courageous of men. Standing before Henry on his stoop was the very same red-eyed monster that had frightened his own children and had attacked Greg Garrett less than an hour before. McDaniel quickly backed away from the door, slamming it in the process. He stumbled to his closet and grabbed his flashlight and his twenty-two pistol. His family, struck with horror, watched as he went back to the front door, and with the conviction of a man who is dead set on defending his home and family, he threw open the door once more, revealing that his first vision of the impossible creature was not just some hallucination. McDaniel would later describe the beast to the police, saying, quote, It had three legs, a short body, two short arms coming out of its breast area, and two pink eyes as big as flashlights. It stood about four and a half feet tall and was grayish in color, and it was trying to get into the house, end quote. McDaniel fired upon the creature and he hit it, but to his surprise, it didn't fall dead or wounded to the ground. Instead, it, quote, hissed like a wildcat at McDaniel. McDaniel said he fired a total of four shots into the creature, assuring anyone who would ask that he had not missed hitting the creature. He stated, quote, when I fired that first shot, I know I hit it, end quote. After this encounter, unbelievable as it may seem, McDaniel claimed that the odd creature tore off into the night, covering an area of about 50 feet in a series of just three leaps before it disappeared into a bush along the L&N railroad embankment in front of his house. McDaniels called the police immediately, but by the time the Illinois state troopers arrived to the scene, the only evidence of the encounter that remained were a series of scratches in the siding of the McDaniels' home and dog-like prints in the yard. But there was something amiss about the prints. They were unusual in that they had six toe pads, and even more intriguing that they represented a three-footed animal with one track that was slightly smaller than the others. McDaniels may have believed that his encounter with the, uh, the Enfield monster was now in the past, but then, on May 6th, he was startled awake by the neighborhood dogs howling and barking. McDaniels got out of bed and once again grabbed his gun, and this time, with much trepidation, he opened the front door. This time, however, the encounter with the beast was much less intimate. McDaniels claims he watched the creature from some distance as it slowly made its way along the railroad tracks near his home. He said, quote, I saw something moving out on the railroad track, and there it stood. I didn't shoot at it or anything, and it started down the railroad track, and it wasn't in a hurry or anything, end quote. It wasn't long before the press got wind of the weirdness, and they came out in full force. But it really wasn't until McDaniel's second report that the media frenzy really kicked into overdrive. White County Sheriff Roy Pasher Jr. was so perturbed by the sudden influx of press, press, <laughs> press and people who were just curious looky-loos, not to mention the panic the community was experiencing. So he threatened to put McDaniels in jail if he didn't stop inciting the panic by telling everyone his wild and terrifying story. 
To make the already precarious situation even worse, some well-armed, albeit amateur, posses of, quote, monster hunters started patrolling the areas near the L and N railroad track sightings. On one of those patrols, a group of five young men allegedly had a run-in with the creature who was with a creature who was identical to the one Garrett and McDaniel had encountered, with the only notable addition that the creature was also covered in hair. So, as their story goes, the men discovered the beast hiding in the underbrush and they opened fire on it. But just like with McDaniel's encounter, their bullets failed to cause mortal injury and the monster fled at a speed the eyewitnesses say was faster than any human being could achieve. The last eyewitness, Rick Rainbow, that's a name. I'm in love with it. I love it. A news director at the radio station WWKI in Kokomo, Indiana, he and three other unnamed individuals claimed they saw a gray, stooping, five-foot-tall creature lurking outside an abandoned house not far from the Garrett and McDaniel homes. The group of five's encounter was neither as harrowing nor as close as the previous encounters, but Rainbow and his crew were able to record the monster's very disturbing scream. It was then that cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman arrived to investigate the eyewitnesses' claims, as well as to listen to the recording of the beast's haunting cry. Coleman also searched the area where eyewitnesses claimed to have seen the creature. He said, quote, I traveled to Enfield, interviewed the witnesses, looked at the siding of the house the Enfield monster had damaged, heard some strange screeching banshee-like sounds, and walked away bewildered, end quote. In the July 1974 edition of Fate magazine, Lauren Coleman and Jerome Clark featured the Enfield Horror in an article entitled Swamp Slobs Invade Illinois. Coleman even chronicled his discussion of this case with famed paranormal investigator and best-selling author of the Mothman Prophecies, John A. Keel, in his book Mothman and the Other Curious Encounters. Years later, Coleman would compare his Enfield investigation with another he had conducted regarding another legendary creature that many assume is of alien origin, the melon-headed monster known as the Dover Demon, stating, quote, The Enfield horror was my case investigation. It was much different than the Dover Demon, however, and was more like a combo phantom kangaroo, devil monkey, and swamp ape situation, end quote. Other investigators would go on to suggest the monster was associated with a slew of UFO sightings that had allegedly plagued the area during the same time period. And for those who lean more supernaturally, they have asserted this beast with its aggressive tendencies towards humans and trying to break into houses, they say that it has all the earmarks of a classic demon attack. That wasn't the first suggestion that there was an apparent E.T. occult connection to the creature. While the two phenomena are not directly related, the primary witness in the Northport Devil case from Florida, Michael Rowley, also claims that the creatures that have been sulking around his house in Northport are of both extraterrestrial and demonic origin, which would make them aliens from hell. It should also be noted that between 1941 and 1942 in Mount Vernon, which is about 40 miles away from Enfield, there were several similar encounters that involved the 
and a malice leaping beast that was terrorizing the locals and was also reportedly responsible for numerous animal deaths in the area. Eyewitnesses claimed that the Mount Vernon monster was somewhat baboon-like, hence their devil monkey analogy, and was able to leap 20 to 40 feet in a single bound. Some assert the Enfield Horror is working on a 30-year cycle, but there have been no reports of the creature in the 21st century, so you can't entirely count out the possibility that the creature is a long-slumbering anatomical oddity that roars its head every once in so many years to feed on animals and terrorize the local residents. Whatever this creature may or may not be, there have been no reports in the last 50 years. It doesn't mean the beast isn't still lurking in the shadows of the same train yard, waiting to return to scratch on another door in the wee hours of the night. The incidents had been widely reported in the press at the time. The story appeared in the newspapers throughout the state on April 27, 1973, and on May 7th there was an interview on the WGN radio station, among other articles and papers. And there was an updated summary of the events that appeared in Pennsylvania's Reading Eagle in August of 1973. So the stories had made their way all around the country, like everybody knew about this horror. And after the arrest of five self-proclaimed monster hunters, the residents of Enfield feared that the press coverage would bring further monster hunters who could accidentally shoot their livestock or even local residents. Then, in 1978, researchers at Western Illinois University, headed by David L. Miller, investigated and analyzed the incidents publishing it as a case study in social contagion. Researchers found there were no more than three incidents reported of the first-hand encounters, and that those reports had subsequently been exaggerated by news outlets and local gossip, turned it into an epidemic of fear. And so according to the study, they said, In this area of southern Illinois, it is not unreasonable to assume Mr. McDaniel and the radio news team had actually seen an animal. People interviewed framed the events in these terms. Their accounts admitted the possibility that large dogs, calves, bears, deer, and wildcats had been sighted. Some suggest that an exotic pet, such as an ape or a kangaroo, was the catalyst for the monster reports. Finally, some people tactfully suggested that Mr. McDaniel had a notoriously overactive imagination and had probably been shooting at shadows. In any event, we interviewed only one person who agreed with Mr. McDaniels' claim that he had indeed seen a, quote, monster from outer space. And that is the Enfield Horror. Okay, now for this one I'm going to apologize to begin with because I know I'm going to mispronounce some of these uh, names from Ireland, so sorry. Irish folklore is littered with legendary ghoulish water creatures, but few are as scary as the Duarcu, which is spelled D-O-B-H-A-R-C-H-U. I looked it up. That's how they say it. So yell at them. It is considered by some to be Ireland's version of the Loch Ness Monster. The Duarcu is a mythical lake monster that is said to have inhabited the lakes of the British Isles since ancient times. Its name roughly translates to water hound or hound of deep. It is said to be a cross between an otter and a dog, only much larger, and about 7 to 15 feet long or about as long as a crocodile, 
and some even jokingly call it the Irish crocodile. The Duarku is said to have a white pelt, black-tipped ears, and a large black cross on its back, though due to the murky waters it lives in, the pelt may look darker. The Duarku is said to be a bloodthirsty, gruesome creature that likes to be in the deep waters of a lake, river, or even the ocean. It is said to be able to travel great distances in the water and on land. The Duarku is known for its speed, aggression, and appetite for human flesh. Yum. Usually there are two of these creatures together, and if one is killed, the other will swim up from the depths and avenge the other by pursuing its attacker and killing and usually eating them. The mate of the Duarku only knows of the distress of the other because when it's about to die, it gives off an eerie high-pitched whistle to warn its mate. Reports of seeing it date as far back as 1684. One was reported by a Miss Walkington in the 1896 edition of the Journal of Royal Society of Antiquaries of Ireland. Miss Walkington described the beast as being half wolf dog and half fish. A few months later, Mr. H. Chinchester Hart responded to Miss Walkington's letter. He said that he had heard the rumors about a gruesome creature called the Duarku, which is said to be the king of all lakes and the father of all otters. In 1722, Grace McLaughlin, known by her maiden name of Connolly, lived in Crevilla at the northwest corner of Glenade Lock. Her encounter with the Duarku goes like this. She went down to the lake early one morning to bathe and wash clothes, and some say her husband Terence went to the lake to look for her, either because he had heard her scream or because she hadn't returned later that evening. Either way, he made his way to the shore of the lake. Both accounts, though, say that Terence rushed down only to find Grace's mutilated body with the Duarku sleeping on top of her. Terence then ran home and grabbed a dagger to kill the beast. But as it was dying, it let out its whistling yell to its mate, who then rose from the lake. The second Duarku chased Terence from the lake. Terence hopped onto his horse and began to ride for his life. He rode for many miles with the Duarku close behind him. But after being chased for so many miles, Terence had to stop and have his horse reshoed. Which, if you're being pursued that closely by this demon otter, I don't think you'd have time to stop and reshoe your horse. Unless you lost him somehow. I'm not sure. But anyway. The blacksmith at Cashelgarin, known to be a wise man, knew the ways of the Duarku, and he gave Terence a sword and told him, quote, when the creature charges, he'll put his head right through the horse. As soon as he does this, you be quick to cut his head off. End quote. The Duarku came at full charge, then put its head right through the horse, just as the blacksmith had predicted. This time, however, Terence was ready. Determined to avenge his wife's murder, Terence put his sword through the Duarku's head and killed it instantly. There are further details to back up this story. Grace Connolly actually existed, and what's more, carved on her tombstone is a detailed depiction of her killer, Duar Chu. Ku. Keep wanting to say Chu. It is located in Cornwall Cemetery in the town of 
Drumans? Drumans? The tomb itself is so old that most of the written details are illegible. However, Grace's name and that of her husband can be made out, and the carved Guarku is much clearer. The creature is shown lying down with its head and neck flung backward so that it is lying flat on its back as if it is dead. A spear-like weapon is shown piercing the base of its neck and coming out below its body. What's little known is that both Duar Koo and Terence's horse are buried in County Sligo, Sligo, not far from where they were both killed. The creature is believed to live in many lakes around Ireland. Now this is where this is where it's going to get me. <laughs> Shireen's Loch, Achill Island. In, a, in County Mayo is where the largest concentration, as of yet unsubstantiated modern sightings, in Ireland have been. Evidently, there is a smaller population of Duarchu that, Duarchu that lives in, in the loch, but it is believed that they are migratory and don't live in that loch all year. As recently as 2000, an Irish artist, Sean Cochran, and his wife claimed to have witnessed a Duarchu in a lake on Orney Island in Connemara, County Galway. Cochran described it as large, dark, and it had orange flippers. He said, quote, The creature swam the width of the lake from west to east in what seemed like a matter of a few seconds. End quote. He concluded that it finally leapt onto a boulder, and before it disappeared, it gave the most haunting screech. The Duarku is said to be more frightening than Selkies, which are seals who can take human form, or Kelpies, which are mythical water horses said to live in rivers and lakes in Scotland and Ireland. Duarku is considered to be an immature form of the Loch Ness Monster. There is also another interesting link between Ireland and these two monsters, which lives on today. It begins with the first sighting of Nessie in Scotland in the 7th century by Irish missionary St. Columbia. He was also the first to challenge and overcome Nessie by using his spiritual powers. Columbia miraculously saved a man from being eaten by Nessie. The story le leads to another myth that Nessie's babies came to the lakes of Ireland to avenge St. Columbia's actions. And before you think that the Duarku is just another imaginary fable, there is some evidence to suggest it may actually be real. Another theory suggests that this creature travels extensively. Some researchers connect the famous lake monster Bessie from Lake Erie in the United States with the Duarku. There have been several sightings of this large serpentine monster that followed Irish immigrants to the heartland of America. There is an unconfirmed sighting of Bessie that describes a terrifying encounter with a huge lake creature that killed three people in 1992. A more elusive but more sinister creature has apparently been attacking swimmers in Pump House Beach near Port Dover in Canada since August of 2001. Other reports say that these creatures inhabit various scattered locations all over the New England area as well as the Great Lakes region. And there are little to no written records of the Duarku since its legend has relied heavily on oral storytelling and tradition. So if you plan to visit Ireland, be on the lookout for Duarku in the lakes and rivers and even on the land. And that is the Duarku of Ireland. So 
I just wanted to throw this story out here because it just came across my newsfeed this morning. Um, I was looking for something else, but this came up, um, and I just wanted to give it a little bit more coverage. Um, Philadelphia authorities recently announced on Wednesday, June 14th, that they are still searching for Shalea Porter. I think that's how you say it. I'm sorry if that's not right. She was last seen on June 5th near her grandmother's home on the 4600 block of Fairmount Avenue. The missing teen was supposed to graduate from her high school on June 9th. Currently, there have been no arrests made, nor have authorities disclosed any possibility of foul play in her disappearance case. However, her relatives have reportedly told reporters that the teen had not shown any signs of running away. Porter was described by Philadelphia authorities as an African-American female who stands 5'6", and weighs 120 pounds, with brown eyes, black hair, and a nose piercing. She is known to routinely use public transportation around the city. According to authorities, Porter's family reported her missing after they found her phone on her bed on June 5th. They became further concerned on June 9th as the 18-year-old missed her graduation, leading her relatives to believe that she may have been held against her will. In an interview, her mother... Kalia Porter, sorry if I'm saying that wrong, described the moment she made the tragic discovery of her 18-year-old missing. Quote, I sat on the couch and called her phone, and that's when I realized that something is not right. Her phone is here, but she is not. Shay would never have missed her graduation. Shay would never have missed the opportunity to go to college. Shay would never have left her mom. End quote. On Tuesday, June 13th at 3 p.m., members of the local community gathered for a joint search effort at the Motivation High School on 59th Street and Baltimore Avenue. At the gathering, Porter's mom spoke out about her daughter, who's her only child. My daughter is a beautiful, wonderful, smart, intelligent young lady. And she added in another interview, I need her back home. She's got a bright future ahead of her. Just bring my baby home. As part of the search effort, many members of the local community have posted news of her disappearance on Facebook. Her mother is also handing out flyers in the area to raise awareness. Kalia Porter described the harrowing effort, stating, quote, I've been out here at the corner, at the corner to corner, passing out flyers, handing them all around the city. I made over 2,000, end quote. Authorities have released no further details about the incident. Kalia Porter said in an interview with Audacity that she will provide a cash reward for anyone who can provide information on the teen's whereabouts. So if we have any Philadelphia listeners, which we might, we might not, I'm not sure, um, just keep an eye out, keep your ears open. Let's, let's hopefully get her back home safely. That's all, that's all I can hope. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Champagne and Murder, please. We really do appreciate each and every one of you, and we look forward to doing this for you. And hopefully next week I will have Lori with me, maybe. Maybe even Mark. We'll see if we can get him on. Um, But until then, I hope you guys have a great weekend. I hope that you guys get everything done that you need to get done. Hope you have some fun with it. And... We will see you next week, and remember, stay safe.
and don't take candy from strangers. Goodbye. Thank you.